Good morning. I want to welcome you to Memorial United Methodist. My name is Joe Cade. I'm the pastor here. So grateful that you've uh, joined us today. If you're a guest today, we hope that you have an order of worship with the bulletin. If you'll open it up to the middle, you'll see our five practices of fruitful congregations. Here we like to list the things that are going on in specific areas in our church of emphasis. And if you fold it back and look at the inside panel, this is where we will always have something uh, new that you need to notice or potentially sign up for. I want you to notice the Eagle Scout project by Grace Stanton. Um, he is uh, uh, one of ours. Um, he's going to work on the bleachers in the gym, which is a big deal. Uh, it would be very helpful to our church. And uh, I want you to read that announcement and notice it um, before you go today. One thing I want to say about extravagant generosity, the week after the newsletter comes out each month, there'll be a new hyperlink in the email that says memorials. The memorials will list all the memorials from the past month all at once. And if you want a paper copy of that, we'll be happy to um, uh, print you one at any time that you're on campus. You just let us know that. But as soon as the newsletter comes out, you'll also see a memorials hyperlink on our email. I believe that's all of our um, announcements. Thank you for coming to a 10 o'clock service here in the sanctuary. On uh, Labor Day weekend, we'll have one 10 o'clock service again. It will be in the gym and be led by... Uh, the musicians from our 9 o'clock service. And we look forward to that as well. You'll hear more announcements about that as it comes. If you'll please stand as you're able and uh, join us with our first hymn, number 57.
In this worship service, we affirm our faith with the Apostles' Creed on page 881. And you're welcome to join us. You're welcome to simply listen. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. The third day he rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence she shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and a life everlasting. Amen. Please be seated. Our first scripture reading today is from the book of Psalm, chapter 95, verses 1 through 7. Come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before him with thanksgiving and extol him with music and song. For the Lord is the great God, the great King above all gods. In his hand are the depths of the earth, and the mountain peaks belong to him. The sea is his, for he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. Come, let us bow down in worship. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker, for he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture, the flock under his care. Today, if only you would hear his voice. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God.
Before we go into a moment of prayer, I want to emphasize something because I know it's still a new format and practice for us. You will not see a prayer list in your bulletin that has simply names any longer, but you will see a far more detailed list uh, that's in the email every week and is printed in the back of each worship space. There's a prayer that um, brackets it written by our spiritual life uh, council chair, Bobby McQuaid, and it mentions people that um, may not be otherwise mentioned with the way that we're um, now gathering those prayer concerns. If you would like that to be shared with us, simply let the office know, and you'll find a copy in every Sunday school class in the back of each worship service and on the email uh, with a link. Uh, Also a link to submit one. Let's pray together. Gracious and loving God, we thank you for this space in which we can gather together. A space where we find peace, comfort, inspiration. Help us, Lord, transition from arriving here to being present here. Ready to hear your word through song, through prayer, through scripture, through proclamation. And as we hear of a group that was receptive to Paul's word for them, help us, Lord, to understand that significance of someone who is willing to hear, willing to learn, willing to change for you. Inspire us this morning, Lord, as we pray the prayer your son taught his disciples to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. It's now time for our offering, and you can give as the plate goes by. You can give electronically with instructions in the bulletin. And if you are guests, if you're uh, new to our um, church today, it's certainly not our expectation that you give. You can rely on the generosity of our people.
Please be seated. I want to take just a moment, if you just about exclusively or exclusively go to worship in the Family Life Center in our 9 o'clock service, you may not be aware of things that have happened since you were last in this space. Um, one, these choir pews were facing one another, and there was, uh, there was less capacity, and it was tough when they'd have to turn this way or turn to see me, uh, and the organ was back here, taking up two pews worth of space. We worked uh, for some time, uh, great leadership, turning the pews facing you, giving us more capacity, and giving Don, actually, which I completely get, way more room like this and like this, because that space right there was brutal on him, a uh, very tight space for a very tall man. Um, so this is, uh, and it looks like it's been here. Um, you may have uh, thought, you know, it seems, seems like it's a little different, but I guess that's the way it was. That was the feel we were going for, to give us more capacity, more freedom, um, yet look in the classic way that it always has. And if you haven't interacted with Don and Renessa and the choir, faithful people that work very hard, Don can make the piano or the organ do pretty much whatever he wants in whatever realm he wants. Um, and Renessa is um, one of the most unique combinations of authoritative and friendly I've ever seen. Usually you're one or the other. She has got both of those dials turned up and looks at you like we're going to do this, but also has a big smile on her face. Um, and that's one of the big reasons why we had to expand capacity uh, in the choir space, honestly. It's because the, uh, they just keep helping us grow. So grateful that you came over here. Um, hope that you love the look of the space. And um, I hope that you 11 o'clock folks, um, typically 11 o'clock, will travel over to the Family Life Center and see some things we've done on Labor Day. Our scripture passage today is from Acts chapter 17, starting with verse 16. And you can find it on page 1723 or within a couple of pages of that in your pew Bible. Um, I read different sections of it, as you might be accustomed, and so if you'll leave it open if you like to read along. Um, before we begin with the text, I want you to consider an opening image. Uh, advertising firm. I've, uh, you know, if you, I don't know if you ever think about other jobs that you might be able to do. Um, I think with my current skill set, I think that would be an interesting career for me. If I had a fantasy skill set, it would be educator and baseball coach. That's what I would love to do. Um, can't, don't have my degree, nor know all the things about coaching, so that's more of a fantasy thing. But advertising, I think I could get blank piece of paper, trying to pitch an idea, trying to get someone's attention, trying to convey something in very few words. Um, there was a show on AMC, which you may not uh, recognize as a channel way up there on your cable dial, um, called The Pitch. And it was an hour long, once a week, and it followed two advertising firms competing for the same business. And it took them from hearing what the company wanted to going back to their office to meeting at 9 o'clock in the morning, 4 o'clock in the afternoon, 1 a.m. in the morning, trying to think of the critical idea that they were going to share with this company. Now, now what do they need to have? They need to be not only a keen observer of the company and what they do well, they have to be a keen observer of the public. The public that the company is serving and the public that the company is not serving. 
they have to know something about the company that they may not even know themselves because they're on the inside doing what they're doing every day. They have to know something about the public that they may not know about the public. And they've got to convince them to share the idea that they come up with as their identity to the public. It could take, and you know, in the show, obviously it's cut up and it's uh, very quick like those um, rehabbing a house. You see it in one hour. But to sit around and think, what is the fundamental idea that we are going to show this company? And then they've got to show the leadership of the company that has sought their advice. That they have to be willing to learn and they have to be willing to risk something if they want to grow their company and reach more people. Have that in mind as we read Acts chapter 17, verse 16. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with both Jews and God-fearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace day by day with those who happened to be there. A group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began to debate with him. Some of them asked, what's this blabbler trying to say? Others remarked, he seems to be abdicating foreign gods. They said this because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. Then they took him and brought him to a meeting of the Areopagus, where they said to him, may we know what this new teaching is that you're presenting? You are bringing some strange ideas to our ears, and we would like to know what they mean. All the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there spent their time doing nothing but talking about and listening to the latest ideas. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So your next phrase, uh, may we know this new teaching. Do you realize how different that is from the authorities that have been in their life from the beginning? Now, there have been people all along who were interested in the new teaching. But any authority in the town that they visited was mildly to moderately to fiercely hostile to their presence and the ideas that they had. This is the first time that an authority in a region is saying to them, may we know more what you're talking about? Now, that's, you can't take that for granted what a big deal that is, that they're actually interested and what strange ideas we're talking about. Uh, so I've watched uh, every Star Wars movie with my children. And I knew them way before they did. And when you sit with them and you have all kinds of assumptions about what R2-D2 is, or a Wookiee, or uh, time travel, or uh, Darth Vader, or, spoiler alert, uh, that he's connected to... Uh, and by family to the people that he's fighting, trying to explain that to a 12-year-old can be challenging. Trying to explain the new rules of a sport to uh, youth on, on, a, on a Sunday night that they don't know any of the rules can be challenging. Them trying to explain the rules to you of a game that they know and they play all the time can be challenging. What's strange to these guys? Well, um... There was a healer who walked among everyone, and he could even heal people that were dead on occasion. He healed people who had never walked before. 
there was a king who was sacrificial and thought about other people way more than he thought about himself. That would be a very strange thing to hear. The resurrection, that he was taken by the Romans, crucified, and resurrected. That's a strange thing to hear. For people who are hearing that story for the first time, you might have to compete of which is the strangest thing that they're hearing about this. So they say, hey, are you willing to um, come and speak to us? Because we'd like to hear more about it. Now, this is a big deal. It's a big deal because he's been in the synagogue in every town that he's gone. And he's talked with religious leaders in that community. Do you know how many people in a community do not engage the uh, um, churches in that community, the faith communities? Tons. Tons and tons of people have nothing to do with worship. So him going into a synagogue and talking about scripture, that makes sense. Everybody gets that. And they may debate him, they may not. He's talked in the marketplace. What do you figure those people are obsessed with? What we're selling, what you want to buy it for, what the weather is today, what else is going on in the city. He's talked to them. The thing he has not done is what he's about to do, which is walk into a big venue with anybody significant in philosophy, all in the same room, and he's there to pitch them his new idea, which is Jesus which is Christianity, which is the way it's impacted his life. And it is the stage for modern thought in Athens. And to have that invitation and get to go there is a huge deal. He's now going there, and this is what he's going to say in verse 22. Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and said, People of Athens... I see that in every way you are very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, to an unknown God. So you are ignorant of the very thing that you worship. And this is what I'm going to proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. And he's not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. From one man he made all the nations, that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. For in him, we live and move and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. Therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by human design and skill. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. Now that's an action-packed speech. 
an opportunity to be in front of those people. And I like to picture it as their seats are kind of elevated and you're down on the stage. And they want to hear what his philosophy is. And in the midst of that room, he tells them your next phrase. I see you are religious. He doesn't say, I see you're faithful. Or I see you're very knowledgeable. I see you're very well spoken about the faith that you believe. No, he says, I I see you're religious. What does that mean? Does that mean that they claim something, but they don't really speak it or do it? Does that mean that they just sort of throw something at it and see if it works? Does it mean that they are scattered in all sorts of different ideas and don't really have one central philosophy? I would guess it's D, all of the above. In 2016, when the Cubs win the World Series and they had gone through so much pain and agony and failure and loss, I sat there with my girls who acted like they loved baseball for their father uh, as we watched the World Series. And um, it was around Halloween, so we had um, all these pumpkins in the house. And we had one little pumpkin that uh, one of my daughters just kind of picked up and was throwing. And when she did it, they got a hit. So I was like, okay, all right, before every batter, you hold the pumpkin, you hold the pumpkin, you hold the pumpkin, I'll hold the pumpkin, and then we'll set the pumpkin up on the TV. And they got another hit. All right, man, you hold the pumpkin, you hold the pumpkin, you hold the pumpkin, I'll hold the pumpkin. Set on the TV. They won the World Series. That's all I'm going to say. They won the World Series. They've seen me. Uh, when something happens, they have um, water. Or so we're at Floor Field. I don't, you know, I don't live and die at Floor Field like I would um, with the World Series. But when, well, that's not true. The Citadel is played there in the Southern Conference Championship. When something's happening and they do something, I go, okay, do that again. Or something very bad is happening. Let's switch hats. I'll wear your tiny little hat and you wear my big hat and we'll see what happens. See, that's belief-ish, right? If you said, I see that you're religious, you have uh, something on the shelf there that says to an unknown God, whatever that means. It's kind of like hedging your bets. Kind of like, well, we'll see if this works out. He says, there's something way more significant than that. I promise. There's something way more authoritative than that. And he doesn't mock them. He says, your poets, which um, uh, every society um, has had great poets who have described nature, the human condition, all sorts of things, love. He said, your poets get it. They've talked about the wonder of creation, but they don't know exactly where it comes from. And he's saying, in my opinion, it comes from the one true God who sent his son to be among us. So we've kind of got to ask ourselves, are we religious or are we believers and well-versed and actually asking hard questions of ourselves based on what we learn? Are we walking in the door with preconceived notions, figuring we already have the answer and walk in here or open the book looking for the thing that we want? In seminary, in um, sermon preparation, they talked about the phrase proof texting. It means you already have the idea, 
and you go to the text looking for it. And you cut out little sections of it that you need to get that one sentence that really delivers on the point that you already had in the first place. He says, that's not the way to do it. He says, um, and you know what? If he were in the synagogue, it'd still be challenging to those folks who believe in this same God because they have built these wonderful structures and figured those structures are the essence of God. Remember when Jesus was walking along with the disciples in Jerusalem, they saw the second temple, and you can Google it. It's amazing. It was amazing. And they said, man, that really captures God, doesn't it? And Jesus said, no. No, God actually reaches out in the simplest of little things to the simplest of little people. And through those little things and little people changes the very world like a mustard seed. He said, you know, it's beautiful, but it may not be here much longer. In fact, it wasn't. Due to a Jewish rebellion, and the Romans just smashed it, burned it. And he says, if your faith is in that structure, then you're going to have serious trouble for various reasons, especially when it's gone. And in fact, if you were friends with um, people at Advent United Methodist, and you saw their posts on social media. The leadership, both lay and clergy, was really emphasizing as their sanctuary burned down during a renovation, this building is not our faith. It's the place that we celebrate our faith. A place that we celebrate our faith, not the place that we barely mention it. He says, I see you're religious, but this is going to be more than you've ever done, more than you've ever said, more than you've ever believed. And you need to follow your poets. Verse 32. When they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some of them sneered. But others said, we want to hear you again on this subject. At that, Paul left the council. Some of the people became followers of Paul and believed. Among them was Dionysus a member of the Areopagus, also a woman named Damaris, and a number of others. So the next phrase is, we want to hear again. Are we saying that to one another? Are we challenging one another to hear a new message? Are we challenging one another that, wait a minute, let, we need to run that through again because, man, that is a, that is a big concept that's bigger than I can fathom. I might need to hear that again. The constant reading and pouring over of Scripture, not only in worship, but in Sunday school classes, in small groups, on Sunday night, uh, uh, on your whatever device, on your podcast, is the pursuit of hearing Scripture again. I don't know how many of you will never watch the same show again, and how many of you will watch the same show all over again. I think it's somehow connected to um, one person in a family will and one person in a family won't. Maybe it's like puzzle pieces, like you find one another. I watch about five shows on a loop. And people say, well, including people in my own household. Now, why do you do that? Okay. It's been my job for 18 years to read the same book over and over and over. Right? You know what happens each time you read it? Same story. You see something different. 
You see something that challenges you. You see something that pushes you to the next place that you're going to go. You've had some sort of life event that informs it as well. The lens through which we see Scripture can change based on the events that happen in our life. So if we're saying to one another, may we know this new teaching, if we're saying to one another, we want to hear again, it's a significant question. It's the opposite of preconceived notions, which are the enemy. When we have preconceived notions of what God wants and what we want and what a faith community wants based on the thing that we figure we already know, it's the enemy of learning. Uh, what, what are we like, uh, five weeks away from walking into class? A student walks into a chemistry class and says, chemistry is the dumbest thing on earth and no one needs it. That is the opposite of that chemistry teacher's dream of sharing with you why it matters and why it's a big deal. When the English teacher has a student walks in and says, I don't want to write anything. I don't want to read anything. I already know everything. Mercy. That's the opposite of what that teacher hopes for. I've watched practice on Wednesday nights with the choir on multiple times. And if someone were to say to Renessa, I know everything I'm ever going to know about music. I don't need to learn anything else. She goes, no, you don't. Mm -mm. No, we're going to learn more with each other. We're going to push one another. That's what he is asking them to do. It's the opposite of preconceived notions. And do you know what television loves to do? You know what social media loves to do? You know what conversation at lunch gathering loves to do? It loves to affirm our preconceived notions. Why? Because we seek it out. We seek out people that are like us. We watch TV that affirms our belief. We look up articles online that already affirm our belief. And you know what the internet can do? The internet can watch the decisions you make and give you even more tailored information to affirm your preconceived notions. Mercy. The opposite of that is what wise men, philosophers, who didn't know much about Jesus, did when they asked Paul to come in that room. It's the opposite of fears of engaging, which is, which is another reason not to do it, and also the reason why I struggled in math. I thought, you know, I didn't really thrive in algebra. I don't know that I'm going to thrive in calculus. I'm not sure what I'm going to do here except just try to get out of here alive. That fear of engaging is something that causes people in uh, small group gatherings or Sunday school classes not to speak up when there's a question asked about scripture. They go, what do you think this scripture means? And people go, mm -mm. why? Fear of saying something dumb. Now that's not hurtful. That's not mean. That's not stubborn like preconceived notions. It's just fear. I don't want to say something stupid. But both have equal power to cause us to not learn anything new again. What if Paul were to approach our community, if he were to walk into this space and say, I see you're very religious. I see that you come here and you do the thing that you do. 
it would be a wake-up call, wouldn't it? So um, I'm grateful for all the opportunities that we have to push one another. We've got wonderful opportunities. I simply read this text and affirm them and encourage you to some way, shape, or form attend them to fight through those two tendencies that hold us back. So that's your final question. Am I done learning? I wouldn't think so. Of all the people that I run into on this campus for all sorts of different reasons, they continue to ask me how something works and what we're trying to do with that thing. I'm guessing you're not at your best. I'm guessing you are when you're sleepy or grumpy or figure that you have learned everything on this subject. When those lights were the brightest in the Areopagus, Paul answered. The question is, are you willing to ask the question and to listen? In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. If you'll please stand and join me for our final hymn, number 431.
I told you. <laughs> sure. Um, I tell you what. Um, instructions. The Family Life Center is shaped like the sanctuary. The door that is closest to the playground, that's the door that we want you to enter. And the reason is you can go all the way the length of it and we can get all of you inside not standing out in the sun. So go to the furthest door by the playground, go all the way in, and if the, if the line is not all the way in, we're going to bend you um, to get everyone in. Um, I believe everyone set everything up. Brett and Casey Hovis um, are to be thanked. We're going to thank them. And uh, I guess that I would likely bless the meal here as the benediction. So let's do that. Gracious and loving God, we thank you for the loving hands that prepared the meal today. The opportunity to share a table with a person uh, we may not normally share one with. For the chance to be curious this week. To be open, to be willing to learn. For the chance to be peaceful with one another. It's in your son's holy name we pray. Amen.